from NPR and WNYC, coming to you from the Bell House in beautiful Brooklyn, New York. It's NPR's hour of puzzles, word games, and trivia. Ask me another. I'm Jonathan Colton. Now here's your host, Ophira Eisenberg. Hello, everybody. Hi. Great to see you. Right now, we have four brilliant contestants that are waiting backstage, and soon they will be on our stage playing our nerdy games, and one of them will become a big winner. Speaking of winners, Jonathan, I know that you have been up for a lot of awards this year. I've had a good year, that's true. Jonathan was nominated both for a Tony Mm -hmm. and an Emmy. Yeah, it was very exciting. Thank you. I just want to let you know that things are going pretty good for me, too, in the awards thing. Oh, that's great. Well, there's this. See this, everybody? This is a picture of a dog. Not my dog. This is a a pug that is uh, four months old that just placed first in the Puppy Pug Nationals. And the owner has named it Ophira Ask Me Another. I just want to let you know that right now. This dog. Very nice. Won the Puppy Nationals Pug Division for three to six months old dogs. It's pretty amazing. Do you think uh, that they think your last name is Ask Me Another? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, We have two amazing guests on our show. We have from The Daily Show and Crazy Rich Asians, Ronnie Chang is gonna be on our stage. And from Six Feet Under and Dexter and Broadway, we have Michael C. Hall coming on the stage. Yeah, very exciting. I think Michael C. Hall has had a pretty interesting career, right? On Six Feet Under, he played a funeral director. On Dexter, he played a murderer. I think he should continue with this backwards circle of life and for his next role, play like a doula. <laughs> or if it's a guy, is it a doodla? It's like a, a, a doodad. Doodad. <laughs> doodad, I like that. <laughs> uh, midterm elections are coming up. Are you guys excited? I know. But it's going to be okay. Brooklyn bars are going to be doing voter drink specials, just so you know. Uh, You got to know that they're going to have some good puns. I want to have a polled fashioned. I want a bloody primary. That's what I want to see. I want a Long Island absentee. That would be great. With a Singapore swing vote. Why not? Can have a democracy breeze. Delightful. Tropical. <laughs> Tropical. Tropical and topical. <laughs> Peanut collusion. <laughs> I know. All right, you guys are fantastic. Let's meet some contestants and play some games, everybody. Our first two contestants will play a game called Bad Ideas from the Past. Mine was named Gordy. Let's meet them. First up, Lauren McDonough. You were part of a world record to create the biggest flower made of humans. Yes. Yes, I was. At the Rochester Lilac Festival? Yes, I was. Okay, so how many people came together to create the flower? Oh, thousands and thousands, like tens of thousands came. I don't have the exact number. Okay. <laughs> but, but it was a lot of work to put together. And did you beat the world we record? We beat the world record, but I think the next year we got beat out by somebody in like the Netherlands or somewhere with the tulip or something, I don't know. Sure, (laughs) sure. So when you ring in, we're going to hear this, Lord. Your opponent is Avi Zackerman. You're an avid board game collector, and you've been playing the same board game with a group of friends for two years? Yep. And what kind of game is it? The easiest way to describe it is you go out, you hunt monsters, you harvest their body parts for weapons, and then you hunt more monsters. Yeah. (laughs) Sounds super fun. It is. I love it. When you ring in, we're going to hear this. Lauren and Avi, whoever has more points after two games is going to go on to our final round. Now, this is a guessing game called Bad Ideas from the Past. Jonathan and I will read multiple choice questions about things that people once thought were true. Here we go. In the not-so-distant past, people didn't understand how terrible cigarettes are for you. Which of these is a real camel's ad slogan from the 1940s? A, camels, more fun than a carrot and less fattening. B, more doctors smoke camels than any other cigarette. Or C, for softer lips, suck on this. Lauren. B. B, 
be. You're right, more doctors smoke camels. That's right. Which of these is a real, less successful Thomas Edison invention? A, a telephone to talk to dead people. B, the first spin pop, the lollipop that electronically rotates for you to achieve full lick coverage with minimal effort. C, photographs that show the subject aging, like in the picture of Dorian Gray. A. A is correct, a telephone to talk to dead people. Right. He was almost right. Now you, on your phone, you get ghosted. So it's, it's pretty much the same thing. Pretty much the same thing. In the mid-1800s, what idea about our solar system did French mathematician Urbain Le Verrier promote? A, the moon is a cold star, which is why the temperature on Earth tends to go down at night. B, he believed in the existence of a planet called Vulcan in between Mercury and Venus. Or C, moons are the real planets and we're all being played. Lauren. B. That is correct. He believed in the planet Vulcan. Aristotle was an MVP when it came to bad scientific theories. How did he think gravity worked? A. Some objects are just naturally more attracted to the center of the universe, which is, of course, the Earth. B. The pressure of the air around us is keeping everything from flying away, like invisible compression shorts for the planet. Or C, creatures with lower intelligence float away, which is why birds fly, squirrels climb trees, but humans are stuck on the ground. Lauren. A. A, you're absolutely right. Jan Baptiste von Helmont was an influential 17th century chemist in Belgium. Where did he think mice came from? A, Anaheim. B, mice are the physical manifestation of lustful thoughts. Or C, if you place a dirty shirt next to some wheat and wait 21 days, the wheat will turn into a mouse. Lauren. C. C is correct, yeah. Yeah, he thought the stinky fumes from a dirty shirt would somehow turn wheat into a mouse. It does seem a little bit like it's based on anecdotal evidence. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Great first game, both of you. Lauren is in the lead. Our next game is about gibberish song lyrics. Lauren, if you could wake up to any song every day, what would you choose? It would have to be Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go. Little Wham. Yeah, little wham. Avi, what song would you like to wake up to every morning? I'd say the theme to Hawaii Five O. <laughs> <laughs> and why is that? Because I would get out of bed and turn it off. <laughs> Just... <laughs> so this game is called Gibberish Lyrics. Jonathan and I will perform a dramatic reading of nonsensical song lyrics, ring in and identify the artist who made the song famous. And if you can't get it from our reading, we'll play you a clip of the original song. Lauren, stay in the lead, and you are in the final round. Avi, you need to get more points, or you have to go to a craft beer bar and order an IPA, but pronounce it IPA. <laughs> Here we go. Ba, do, ba, dop, ba, do, bop, ba, do, ba, dop, ba, do, bop, ba, do, ba, dop, ba, do, yeah. Lauren. Blue? Oh, I'm sorry, that is incorrect. Avi, do you want, we can play the clip for you or if you can just answer. I forgot the name of the artist. <laughs> All right, let's play the clip. Oh. Hanson. That is correct. That is Hanson's Mbop. <laughs> so sometimes these things represent real concepts or words to the artist. And uh, supposedly Zach Hansen said that Mbop and all of those words uh, represented the futility of life. Those I, kids were deep, yeah, man. Yeah, I think he was like 14 or yeah. something. He's like, what's the point? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Why even write lyrics to this dumb song? I'm doing well and I don't care. <laughs> Here's your next one. Ro ma ro ma ma Lauren. Lady Gaga. Lady Gaga, that's right. Bad romance. D, do, do, do. 
die, da, da, da. Okay, let's give you the clip. Really interesting. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fine. Uh, Sting famously fronted this band. The Obvi- police? The police is correct. <laughs> Who knew that was such a deep cut? I know. <laughs> shoop, shoop, bay doop, shoop, bay doop, shoop, bay doop, bay doop, bay doop. Avi. Salt and pepper? That's right. Gunter Glebin Glotten Globen. Avi. Def Leppard? I know who you are now, Avi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Rock of Ages, let's listen. Gunter Glebin Glotten Globen. Were you a big Def Leppard fan? Not really, I just know that song. You just know that song? <laughs> hey, it worked out for you. <laughs> this is your last clue. I bop, you bop, and they bop. Bebop, bebop-a-loo, she bop. Avi. Pet Shop Boys? I'm sorry, that is incorrect. Lauren, would you like to hear the clip before you answer? Yes, please. All right. I'm terrible at music and knowing artists, so I'm just going to say 42, because that's the answer to everything. <laughs> It's a fine guess, and I understand why you made it. Uh, here's the hint. Buzzers are open. Girls just want to have fun. Um, Cindy Lauper? Yeah, that's right. You both are amazing. Turns out, Avi, you are going to our final round. Coming up, we'll find out who will face off against Avi in our final round. And Michael C. Hall is here. His hit show, Dexter, was set in Miami, and it really broke the mold when it came to realistic depictions of back sweat on television. I'm Ophira Eisenberg, and this is Ask Me Another from NPR. Support for this podcast and the following message comes from Sub-Zero Refrigeration, Wolf Cooking, and Cove Dishwashing. Listen in as Joel Chesbro, head demonstration chef, shares his thoughts on the power of home-cooked food. So we just have a a bunch of people that work together that are going to come in for lunch today. All right, let's dig in. It's funny, I was one of the last people to get my food and there's that beautiful lull that happens as everyone is sort of anticipating uh, digging into their plates of food and everything just gets really quiet and people are very focused on that sort of first bite. And then from there, obviously, the cadence picks up and you have this great conversation. The real value of food above and beyond human sustenance is community. And when you bring people around a common table, uh, that's my greatest joy as a chef. To learn how to make every meal more memorable with Sub-Zero Wolf and Cove, visit subzero-wolf.com. What is it about paying in advance that makes people faster at picking up their dry cleaning? Am I considered underemployed because I'm paid for less than 40 hours? Or is full-time more of a feeling? I'm Stacey Vanek-Smith, co-host of Planet Money's The Indicator, where we answer these great questions from you, our listeners. Every day and in less than 10 minutes. This is Ask Me Another, NPR's hour of puzzles, word games, and trivia. I'm Jonathan Colton. Now here's your host, Ophira Eisenberg. Thank you, Jonathan. Our first guest played David Fisher on HBO's Six Feet Under and starred in Dexter on Showtime for eight seasons. He's now performing the one-man show Tom Payne, based on nothing, at the Signature Theater in New York. Please welcome Michael C. Hall. Hello. Welcome, Michael. Thank you. Thanks for coming on Ask Me Another. Really happy to have you on the show. Yeah, my pleasure. Uh, So I thought it was very interesting that as you were trying to find your way in your acting career, you had a lot of odd jobs. Uh, You sold knives. I did. You sold suits. I 
did. Not you, very well, but I did. <laughs> you sold toys? I did. You were a furniture mover and OR recovery room technician? I, yeah, basically <laughs> I kept the towel warmer full and uh, just did whatever the nurses told me to do. And I took people back to their rooms, which I think technically I wasn't supposed to do, but I did. <laughs> okay, they, they were like, whatever, that's fine. Yeah. Uh, bartender, busboy, what's the gig that sticks with you, maybe haunts you? <laughs> Probably recovery room technician. Yeah. Um, yeah, just being the first thing people saw when they woke up from anesthesia. <laughs> Yeah, and intubation breath is the worst breath. (laughs) That first exhale, when you're like on the elevator and they're facing up at you and there's just nowhere to go. Yeah. Yeah, suit salesman, was that a good job, fun? I was terrible at that job. It was one of the few places I left my application. I got the job and the next thing I know, I was like marking somebody's suits for alterations. I had no idea what I was doing. (laughs) In 1999, you meet director Sam Mendes, who people know from American Beauty and Road to Perdition. Uh, he decides to direct Cabaret on Broadway, which right. was huge. Right. And Alan Cummings is cast as the MC. Right. He leaves. Yep. You are brought in. Yeah. And did you tell him at the time that you had formally played the role in college? I did not. So, but just so people know, yeah. you, you did play the role, that I role. I did, I did. I was, I did a workshop of a musical that Sam Mendes directed and it coincided with him needing to find someone to replace as the MC. The timing was good. He saw something that made him think that maybe I'd be right for it. I was called at noon. I went in at six to do what they called a work session. And I found, found out like at 7.30 I got the job, and then I went to see the show that night. I hadn't seen it before. But I didn't tell them when I came in at 6, after having found out just six hours ago uh, that I was going to audition, that I'd played the part in college. They were like, wow, he really learned those songs. (laughs) Quick. And I just was like, yeah, they're catchy. You know? So you play a serial killer on Dexter. You play this character who's a part of a funeral director family on Six Feet Under, yeah. uh, who is gay. Mm-hmm. And you've said that friends and family sympathized more with the serial killer than they did yeah. with the... Yeah, I mean, I grew up in, in North Carolina, and um, both my parents are from a very small town and somewhat um, conservative and, and um, maybe just the horizons on certain... Um, Levels aren't so broad, maybe, but uh, yeah, I didn't really appreciate just how much David Fisher freaked my family out until I came home after they'd seen Dexter, and they're like, "You're so great as Dexter," you know, just, just, you, I love the way you kill those people, but <laughs> I hate the way you kiss that man, you know. Right. What are you gonna do? I mean, let's be honest. You d- you did play a very likable serial killer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I have to imagine your role as David Fisher. I mean, I was just, I, I savored every single second of Six Feet Under. Uh, and I loved your character. And I imagined that many people watching who were thinking about their identity were very moved to have this on television for them. Yeah, I think it was a valuable thing for people who were um, coming of age and maybe struggling with uh, their relationship to their sexuality, coming out, whatever it may be. I hear from people that that relationship between David and Keith and, and that character helped validate something in them and give them permission. And that's like one of the most gratifying things I could ever hear. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. While you're preparing for the role of the serial killer in Dexter, you like, as I've read, like to kind of get into characters before they are debuted, whether it's on mm-hmm. the screen or on stage. Uh, and you were lightly stalking people in New <laughs> yeah. York? Yeah, I was. <clears throat> I, um, I killed seven people. No, I didn't... <laughs> I didn't kill anybody. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I think ultimately, certainly in the case of Dexter and, and with any character, an imaginative leap is ultimately required. But I did, you know, have some time on my hands between getting the role and the pilot happening. And I was living downtown and I didn't even plan it. I was just out eating dinner by myself one night and saw some 
guy sitting at the bar and he seemed to be alone and I just endowed him with a bunch of reprehensible characteristics and followed him <laughs> around and got on the subway one car away and it was remarkably easy to follow him. I mean, it was in New York, you know. It's, yeah. it's, uh, there's probably someone following all of you right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. You were in Lazarus, a musical composed by David Bowie, and the musical is, is the unofficial sequel to the book and film The Man Who Fell to Earth. You had to sing David Bowie songs in front of David Bowie during rehearsals for Lazarus. What was that experience like? So the first time I'd met him, I already officially had the job, but I felt like I had to cross this final threshold, of course. And I sang through all the songs with the music director in his East Village apartment, probably about the size of this stage, with a baby grand piano in the corner. And then David, I mean, he came over, but it felt like he materialized, you know? He was just there, <laughs> head to toe, Alexander McQueen, he had this silver skull on his umbrella. He smelled amazing. He was exactly my height, so his eyes were just right there, you know, and it was, it was mesmerizing, and um, I had to turn off a part of my brain so that I could, you know, and, and I was doing okay, and we were shooting the breeze, and, and, uh, and everything was fine, you know, I was like little butterflies, but I was okay. And then it was time to sing the songs, and uh, Henry Hay, the music director, started the opening chords of Where Are We Now, a song from the show, and the butterflies turned to bats. You know, I was like, this, oh. how I, you know. And, and, and David, um, he was seated on a couch, sort of in my peripheral vision, I was focused on Henry, and he, he said something like, yes, now sing my songs for me. You know, he just, he just kind of named the absolute absurdity of the moment and, and really oh, kind good. of took the pressure off. And by the end of the song, and this is definitely one of the peak experiences of my entire life, I was singing the final verse, uh, or chorus rather, and... Um, I heard these oohs and I looked and he had his eyes closed and he was singing what he had orchestrated as the backing vocals of the song. And I was like, well, I have nothing to be afraid of now. I yeah. mean, no matter who I perform this for or whatever, you know, it's, it was an incredible Right, moment. basically David Bowie for a brief second was your backup singer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty So your latest project is a one-man show called yep. Tom Payne, based on nothing, written by Will Eno, who you worked with before. Yeah, about five years ago, I did a play of his called The Realistic Joneses here in New York and uh, have maintained a relationship and friendship with him since. Yeah, and yeah. this is a solo show. I mean, you're yeah. used to working with, I, I believe, like mostly huge ensemble casts. Yep. I mean, how does that feel? Is it terrifying? Are you like, finally? Yeah, it's all those things. It's exhilarating. It's something that I've always been intrigued by. Um, it's terrifying as well, which is always good to be a little bit scared. Sure. Or maybe like 49% scared. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's like taking a language ride. Will's sentences. I don't know. This guy speaks in a way that to him is linear, but um, when you read it on the page, feels like it's all over the place, but there's some sort of internal logic for him, and getting inside that is really fun. I what mean, he says great things. Like, he says things like, I'm the type of guy you may not hear from for some time, but then suddenly, one day, bang, you never hear from me again. <laughs> <laughs> it's good, right? It's really good. Like, one of Will's favorite jokes is... um. People laugh when they said I was going to be a comedian. Well, they're not laughing now. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. All right, Michael, are you ready for an Ask Me Another Challenge? Yeah, let's do it. All right. <laughs> Michael C. Hall, we Googled you before the show. <laughs> it's the least we could do. Yeah. And we learned a few things, that you're a fan of Radiohead, uh, that you once sold men's suits, and that you once sold knives, so you were going to play a custom version of our favorite game, This, That, or The Other. Ah. I'm just going to give you a word. 
you're going to have to identify which of three categories it belongs to. Is the word a Radiohead song, part of a knife, or a type of fabric that a men's suit might be made of? Okay. And if you do well enough, you and Christy Deleuze from Herndon, Virginia, will win an Ask Me Another Rubik's Cube. Here we go. <laughs> Is Faust Arp a Radiohead song, part of a knife, or a suit fabric? Is that Faust Harp or Arp? Yeah, two words. Faust and then... Part ca- of a knife. I'm sorry, it's a Radiohead song. <laughs> oh, crap! <laughs> it's from In Rainbows. Yeah. Love that album. <laughs> it was one of those pay-what-you-wish albums that you could download yeah, from yeah. them directly. Yeah, I paid what I wished. I obviously didn't pay enough. Is Gabardine a Radiohead song, part of a knife, or a suit fabric? That's a suit fabric. It is indeed. Yeah, Gabardine was created by the founder of Burberry, Thomas Burberry. Burberry wanted a material that was breathable and waterproof. Mm, there what you a go. guy. What a guy. Tang. Tang? Tang. Radiohead knife part suit fabric. Tang. Knife part. Knife part is correct, yeah. That describes how much of the blade extends into the handle, you know, so you actually... Oh, yeah, you want know. You want full tang. Yeah, yeah, you, you want, want full tang. You want full tang, yeah. because that's the strongest. Yeah. Ripcord, Radiohead, knife part, suit fabric. Radiohead. That is correct, from Pablo Honey. It is, by the way... Also a linen blend for those of you just going, wait a second, but not typically used to make suits. Sometimes we have to stop listener letters from flooding. Smart. Nip it in the bud. (laughs) That's right. This is your last clue. Pummel. Knife. Knife. That's right. It's okay. Sorry. Yeah, no, great. That's... What's the pummel? It's the knife part. Uh, Yeah, you did great. Did I do well enough? You did well enough. Oh, yeah. Uh, Christine Deleuze and you, Michael C. Hall, are both going to get Ask Me Another Rubik's Cube. Sweet. Yeah, that's it. Michael C. Hall is performing Tom Paine based on nothing at the Signature Theater in New York City. Give it up for Michael C. Hall, everybody. Want our next special guest to play for you? Follow Ask Me Another on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Our next two contestants will play a game about bad knockoffs. Uh, did you know there's a generic Oreo brand called Cream Betweens? <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry you can't unhear that. Let's meet our contestants. First up, Michael Marino. What did you dress as for Halloween? So I was Lucy from Peanuts, like the doctor yeah. is in. <laughs> That's... I made 75 cents giving advice. <laughs> <laughs> was that just one question or no, was it numerous? A, yeah, a couple. How, many, um, how much did you charge per question? Only five cents, but more people had quarters, so it was good <laughs> yeah, for laundry. Good, good. And what did they want advice on? Uh, sometimes relationships, sometimes like fashion. So fashion. All, all things. Yeah, animal prints are neutral, so spread the word. Yeah, thank <laughs> you. Very good. So, Michael, when you ring in, we're going to hear this. Your opponent is Constantine Petalidis. What was your Halloween costume? So I had just gotten out of my cast from breaking my legs, so I was Dr. House. I had the cane, I had the bottle of Vicodin, and I walked around insulting people. Yeah. I like that. I like any costume you can make from your own wardrobe. That's... (laughs) Constantine, when you ring in, we're going to hear this. Okay, remember, Michael and Constantine, whoever has more points after two games will go to our final round. Let's go to your first game. So it's that magical time of year when your local Halloween adventure store turns back into the vacant storefront. It was just (laughs) two months ago. And to recognize the end of the spooky season, we're going to give you the name and description of a real Halloween costume that you can buy that is similar to, but not legally infringing upon a pre-existing character or celebrity. You tell us the original character or person the costume is approximating. Here we go. The Brothers Grimm may be in the public domain, but Disney's lawyers are no joke. Better safe than sorry with this costume called Stroke of Midnight Maiden. Michael. Cinderella? Yeah, Cinderella. 
Don't shout, my wife, when you wear this Sasha Baron Cohen wig and mustache. Avoid a lawsuit by instead shouting, my partner, because you are dressed as a Eurasian traveler. Constantine. Borat. Borat is correct. Become your Food Network hero and take everyone to Flavortown. Sunglasses not included with this knockoff costume. Celebrity chef wig and goatee. Constantine. Guy Fieri. That's right. (laughs) Do you think he has to wear a hairnet over the goatee? I think according to health regulations, he does, yes. But probably not for the cameras. (laughs) Yeah. A ruffled shirt and a nearly floor-length jacket may not give you musical talent, but your friends will say, you got the look of this, quote, purple rock legend. Michael. Prince. Prince, you got it. (laughs) Wasn't that one of his names for a brief period, purple rock legend? (laughs) Like, that legitimately could have been how Prince referred to himself. (laughs) The the artist formerly known as purple (laughs) rock legend. That's right. Tim Burton isn't seeing royalties from any of these classic Michael Keaton character knockoffs. Will you shake your body on time at your office party dressed as Juice Demon or Scaremeister? (laughs) Constantine. Scarecrow. That is a fine guess, but it is incorrect. Michael, do you know the answer? No, no, definitely not. (laughs) Definitely not. Okay. Does anybody out there know the answer? Beetlejuice. That's correct. Yep. Juice Demon. (laughs) Juice Demon. That's like where you buy wheatgrass shots, I I think. Over at the Juice Demon. (laughs) Over at the Juice Demon. This is your last clue. If you love black and white, skinny cigarettes, and being mean to puppies, this costume is for you. It's Cruel Boss Lady. Michael. Cruella DeVille. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Great game. Michael is in the lead. So speaking of knockoffs, if you think Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me is a knockoff of this show, you should apply to be a contestant. Go to amatickets.org. Coming up, I'll talk to comedian Ronnie Chang, who hosts a segment on The Daily Show called Everything is Stupid. I like a man who sets the bar high. I'm Ophira Eisenberg, and this is Ask Me Another from NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Berkshire Hathaway Home Services. With a franchise network of highly trained agents and advanced marketing tools, Berkshire Hathaway Home Services network members aim to provide something more than just real estate. They think beyond the next transaction and build relationships based on your long-term goals to ensure you'll get all the value that a home brings year after year, home after home. All that more they do, that's home services. Start your home search at BerkshireHathawayHS.com. Support for this podcast and the following message comes from Verbo. Finding the perfect vacation home is hard. You start off looking for a beach house big enough for six and wind up watching videos of surfing dogs. Verbo does the hard work for you. Whatever your budget or whatever you want from the home, a yard, grill, or even a private pool, Verbo's got you covered. Download the Verbo app, V-R-B-O, to discover everything from condos and cabins to villas and castles. Let Verbo find a home that matches you. Human behavior doesn't always make a ton of sense, at least on the surface. I said, would you mind if I give the dogs a little piece of cracker with some hot sauce on it and without and see what they choose? Hidden Brain, a spicy podcast about science, psychology, and why people do what they do. This is NPR's Ask Me Another. I'm Jonathan Colton. Now here's your host, Ophira Eisenberg. Thank you, Jonathan. Hey, Picasso, I'm walking here. That's my impression of me in an art museum bumping into people. (laughs) And our contestants, Michael and Constantine, will soon play a game about famous artists. So let's check in with them. Michael, your family is, um, as you said, very into Thanksgiving. <laughs> we are, yeah. Okay, what, what does that entail? Um, so we, uh, everyone submits five songs for a Thanksgiving playlist. Oh. Um, and then that is the soundtrack for Thanksgiving weekend. So the playlist is uh, 
introduced on Wednesday night before Thanksgiving, uh, which we call Injection Wednesday. (laughs) Because we inject the turkey with a marinade and everyone gets a turn to use the syringe. (laughs) Yeah. Constantine, you're an aviation lawyer and you collect katana samurai swords. Yes, indeed. (laughs) So... Can you gate check a katana samurai sword? Funny that you mentioned that because the last one that I got was from a couple of friends in Japan and they made the mistake of bringing it over to the airport. Guy asks, oh, what's in that particular box? And yeah. they're trying to check it. And he says, oh, a sword. Guy immediately gets on his little walkie-talkie, says something in Japanese. And just as my friend thinks he's going to be hauled off by Japanese TSA, this little old man with an attache and a jeweler's loop comes out and just takes the sword out, looks at it, pokes at it with a couple things to make sure it's not an ancient artifact, and signs a piece of paper, and it was in JFK. <laughs> That's interestingly frightening. <laughs> So this is a music parody game about famous artists called Paint by Number. Michael, stay in the lead, and you're in the final round. Constantine, you need to get more points, or we're going to make you stare at paint swatches (laughs) until you break down in tears (laughs) in the middle of a Home Depot. Wouldn't be the first time that happened. (laughs) We rewrote songs with colors in the title to be about famous artists. Ring in and tell me who I'm singing about. And if you get that right... For a bonus point, you can name the song or artist who made it famous. You ready? Yep. Here we go. 55 self-portraits made In the blue house down the street Monkeys, birds, and dogs appear On my shoulders, at my feet 55 self-portraits made Black hair woven in a braid And if you look above my eye 55 unibrows go by Michael. Uh, it's Frida Kahlo. It is. That's correct. For a bonus point, can you name the song or artist? Yeah, it's 99 Red Balloons. That's right, by Nina. That's correct. Here's your next one. I see a circus and I want it made of dots. I see a river and I want it to be dots. I see the people lounging on the Grand Jat And pointillism, it's the only thing I've got Constantine, Surratt, George Surratt, that's right And the song is Painted Black Painted Black by the Rolling Stones These other painters tried to forge me But they should know that I'm the only one Don't even ask, I can't work faster You shouldn't rush a damn Dutch master Mode blue and yellow, I'm done It's a nice day for art again Here's a nice girl with a pearl earring Michael? Is it Rembrandt? I'm sorry, it is not Rembrandt. Monet? Constantine, do you know the answer? Neither is it Monet. So what we're looking for was Vermeer. The song was uh, White Wedding by Billy Idol. <laughs> Here's your next one. Ancient vase shattered on the floor. Installation, give the man what for. Chinese girl wants to be locked away. Still protest, no matter what they see. And then there's a lot of guitar playing. Yes, Constantine. Ai Weiwei. Yeah, that is correct. You got it. For a bonus point, can you name the song or artist? Uh, It's out of my head. It's out of your head. That was Purple Haze by Jimi Hendrix. All right, this is your last clue. Guess who? Da-ba-dee-da-ba-da. He's an anonymous guy. Painting stencils so wry. And murals done on the sly. Shred it after you buy. You'll never see him. He's shy. Da-ba-dee-da-ba-da. Constantine. Banksy, Eiffel 65. Yeah. (laughs) That is correct. The song is blue. All right, let's do it. Banksy, please stand up. Yeah, he's here. Okay, you both did very, very well. Nice job, nice job. And after two games, Constantine is moving to our final round. 
While Avi and Constantine get ready for the final round, it's time for us to welcome our next special guest. He's a correspondent on The Daily Show with Trevor Noah and starred in the biggest romantic comedy of the decade, Crazy Rich Asians. Please welcome Ronnie Chang. Thank you so much, everybody. Welcome to Ask Me Another. Thank you. So, Ronnie, you started comedy as an undergrad law student in Australia. Yes. You were living in Melbourne. Yes, so I'm right in your demographic, honestly. This <laughs> is... Yeah. Melbourne is the Brooklyn of Australia, yes. I'm telling you. I actually, I remember the, one of the things that really came from Melbourne, I feel, to Brooklyn, is mm -hmm. the flat white coffee. Flat white coffee, yeah. That's well, a great Australian thing. coffee. I love For that. some reason, Australia, the best at coffee. They're really good. It's a whole subculture of obnoxious so, people, yeah. So um, you're... You're planning on being a lawyer, but yep. you start doing stand-up comedy. Yeah, sure, yeah. What was the Melbourne comedy scene like? Uh, very highbrow. It's not relaxed like in America. America, comedy is very relaxed, right? We come out, we go to like a venue with a low ceiling. Yeah. Someone does like 10 minutes. Right. Someone else does 20, the last comes on does 50 minutes. <laughs> some jokes we laugh at, some jokes we don't laugh at, and hopefully overall we win, we have a good time, then we get the hell out of here. In Australia, it's every comic does one hour. No food, no drinks, no opening act, it's just you. It, it creates good stuff, but sometimes it, you know, it takes comedy too seriously. It's like comedy, it's fun, it's, it's meant to spread joy. And we don't always get it right, but some, you know, it's a double-edged sword. And, w and obviously we know you from uh, The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, and we yeah. know you to talk a lot about current events and politics, but when you right. started off doing stand-up, were yeah. you leaning into any politics? No, I avoided politics. Avoided On purpose? It. Yeah, yeah. At that time, I felt like... Um, there were smarter people than me who were talking about it. I didn't want to like inject myself in this thing that, you know. So in Australia, you were like, oh, there's smarter people than me talking about this. But then you come to America and you're like, no, I'm the smartest person. <laughs> Basically, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, your first movie role turned out to be a good role. You yeah. played Eddie Cheng in Crazy Rich Asians. Yeah, yeah, way to go. Uh, congratulations. Well, yeah, way to go. This, this is for the rich people. Yeah. <laughs> Finally. Your character, Eddie Chang, was not a very likable character. Yep. Uh, was that fun to play? Well, my mom liked him, but yeah, sure. Okay. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But yeah, very fun to play, yeah. I knew that character very well. I grew up with people like that. I see. Uh, a type A personality, yeah. law school people. So it wasn't hard to just channel. I'm like impersonating people I know. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and so, and then of course, you know, the movie does amazing. Yeah, uh, do you get a lot of people reaching out to you? It's cool because it was a Singapore story. And so um, I grew up in Singapore. My parents lived in Singapore. And so when there was a Singapore story happening, I'm like, how often do Singapore stories blow up outside of Singapore? Uh, when it came out, I'm like, yeah, I, you know, I felt very strongly that I really want to be a part of it because you know, there's not a lot of Singaporean Malaysians in America in show business. And I thought it was a story worth telling. And and I thought I could do it. That's the most important thing. I wasn't, it wasn't like, put, shove me in. I was like, no, I know these characters. I know this world. I, I know I can tell this story. So yeah. very lucky to be part of it. Yeah. yeah, that's great. Fantastic. All right, Ronnie, are you ready for an Ask Me Another challenge? Yeah, sure. Okay. So before the show, you told us that one of your hobbies is building Nintendo game emulators. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> Which, if you don't know, is basically homemade video game consoles. Uh, are you comfortable, by the way, with Nintendo of America knowing this information? Because they are huge oh. listeners of our show. Yeah, I build them, but I don't use them to play games. Am I right? Like, <laughs> I build them and I destroy them immediately. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so your game is called Nintendo or Nintendo. Oh, I love it. Yeah. I'll describe a game for the original Nintendo Entertainment System, or the NES. You tell me if it's real or something we just made up. Great, I love it. Okay, here we go. I was scared, but no, I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> Princess Tomato in the Salad Kingdom. You play as Sir Cucumber on a mission to rescue Princess Tomato, who has been kidnapped by Minister Pumpkin. Along the way, you befriend a persimmon. Real or fake? That, great try. That's fake. That's a great try, though. Thanks. It's real. <laughs> I don't believe that. <laughs> Cupcake Heads. The game takes place in a baker's nightmare as he protects his customers from zombie cupcakes out for revenge. Come on. Nah, that's not real. That can't be real. That one's not real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah that's go. fake. That's fake. Yeah. But you got me. That, you got the uh, mind games going. 
Ronnie, now we're actually playing a game, I aren't know. we? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Super Mario sweater, only released in Japan. Mario is featured in this game about making sweaters. The game was designed by a sewing machine company. Real or fake? I'm going with it's real. All right, that was a good choice. Yeah, it that's is right. real. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. It was released in 1986, and players could actually save their design that they made of their sweater, mail it to the game publisher, and for a small fee, they would get the sweater oh, mailed to them. That's a 2018 idea. That's a, such a good idea. They go make that now. I yeah, know. Someone out there, we just made you like $100 million right there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this is, your, this is your final one. Hattress. It's like Tetris, but with hats. Hattress. What year was it? Hmm. Maybe it's a strategic error to let you into my thinking process. Um, you know what? It's so dumb, it has to be real. That's the only way you would put it in here. It's so dumb, and I play dumber games, by the way. So, yeah. I'm going Hattress Real. It is real. Yeah. Yes. Uh, that was so fun. Congratulations, you did great. Thank you. Thanks Ronnie so Chang is on The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. Give it up for Ronnie Chang, everybody. Thank you. Yay. We did it. We did it. <laughs> it's time to crown our big winner. Let's bring back our finalist, Avi Zuckerman, whose dream alarm clock is the Hawaii Five O theme song. And Constantine Petalidis, who owns a lot of swords. Avi, Constantine, your final round is called TM Information. Kleenex is a trademark name, but many people use that word to refer to any brand of tissue. So in this game, every answer is a brand name that's commonly used in a generic way. And our big winner will receive an Ask Me Another Rubik's Cube signed by Michael C. Hall and Ronnie Chang. We rolled a 20-sided die backstage, and Avi is going first. Here we go. Avi, Johnson & Johnson makes these adhesive strips used for cuts and scrapes. Band-Aids. That is correct. Constantine, Unilever makes these short rods with cotton swabs on both ends, commonly used to clean ears in ways that go against the warning <laughs> on the package. Q-tips. That is correct. Avi, Good Humor makes this flavored, water-based frozen treat on a stick. Fudgicles? Water-based treat? I'm going to give you a chance to correct. We're looking for a water-based treat. Uh, creamsicles? Three seconds. <laughs> popsicles? We'll give you popsicle. There you go. Constantine Parker Brothers, now part of Hasbro, holds the trademark on this activity, also known as table tennis. Ping pong. That's correct. Avi, Marvel and DC Comics joined forces to trademark this term for a crime-fighting character with special powers. Superhero? Correct. Constantine, a large, nerdy gathering for graphic novel and sci-fi lovers held annually in San Diego and elsewhere. Comic-Con. Correct. Avi, if you misspell your coworker's name on a birthday card, you may grab this name brand correction fluid made by Bic. Whiteout. That is correct. Constantine, the Sealed Air Corporation holds the trademark on this poppable packaging material. Bubble wrap. That is correct. We're at the halfway point, and the score is tied at 4-4. Avi, Whammo holds the trademark on Frisbees, and this small beanbag kept in the air by one or more players using only feet. Hacky sack? That is correct. Constantine, Sunbeam products hold the trademark on this home appliance, also known as a slow cooker, that caused tragedy on This Is Us. <laughs> Microwave. I'm sorry, that is incorrect. We were looking for Crock-Pot. Avi, not every food storage container belongs to this name brand introduced in 1946 and known for its burp. Tupperware? That is correct. Constantine, next time you're stuck in a plane that hasn't even left the gate, you can look at the asphalt on the ground and thank this English company. The asphalt on the ground is the tarmac, but the English company. Tarmac. That is correct. <laughs> okay. <laughs> 
Avi, this name brand term is often used to describe any text superimposed at the bottom of the screen during a TV broadcast. Crawl? I'm sorry, that is incorrect. We were looking for Chiron. Constantine, if you're at a live sporting event watching the giant TV screen, you may use this term to describe it, trademarked by Sony. The Jumbotron. That is correct. The score is tied 6-6, and we have one last question for each of you. Avi, between hockey periods, you'll see ice resurfacers, invented in California by the guy whose name is commonly used to describe them. Zamboni? That is correct. Constantine, Dow Chemical Company holds the trademark on this word, which is commonly used to describe the white, squeaky material disposable coffee cups and food containers are made of. Styrofoam. That is correct. Okay, we're going to come down to a tiebreaker question. So here's your tiebreaker. This trademark is held by the corporation, originally known as the Halloid Photographic Company. It's commonly used to describe any photocopier. Constantine. Xerox. That is correct. Congratulations. And congratulations, Constantine. You're our big winner. And that's our show. Ask Me Another's house musician is Jonathan Colton. Hey, my name anagrams to bow Joel to Cannon. Our puzzles were written by Camilla Franklin, Andrew Kane, and senior writer Karen Lurie, with additional material by Emily Winter. Our senior supervising producer is Rachel Neal. Ask Me Another is produced by Mike Katzeff, Travis Larchuk, Kiara Powell, Edward Wyckoff-Williams, Ramel Wood, and our intern Alexis Stromer, along with Steve Nelson and Anya Grunman. We are recorded by Damon Whittemore, Rick Kwan, and Jeff O'Neill. We'd like to thank our home in Brooklyn, New York, The Bell House. Hot Heel Blues. And our live event sponsor, American Mensa, and and our production partner, WNYC. I'm Harite Begonias. Ophira Eisenberg. And this was Ask Me Another from NPR. Ask Me Another is headed to the Pacific Northwest. On June 20th, we're bringing our puzzles, word games, and trivia to Seattle for a live taping at the Moore Theater. Plus, we'll be joined by comedian Nicole Byer from Netflix's Nailed It. And we want to see you there. For tickets and more info, head to amatickets.org or go to kuow.org slash events. This is NPR. Next time on Ask Me Another, we're joined by two New York comedians you gotta know. Stand-up author and head writer for Jesus and Marrow, Josh Gondelman, and actress and cabaret queen, Catherine Cohen. Plus a music parody game that reworks disco classics to be about things from the 70s. So join me, Ophira Eisenberg, on Ask Me Another, the answer to life's funnier questions. <laughs> <laughs>